0: Well, brothers and sisters, we, we come to what I consider to be a weighty and uh, almost a majestic text in the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 19 to 21, and we're going to probably do that over the next Couple of weeks, pro- probably in another two weeks after this. Um, I, you know, I never really know exactly what what's going to happen on any given week. But let, let's just look at this text, Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now perhaps at first glance, the text doesn't seem maybe overly majestic to you. I don't know. We're told where to lay up treasures, and then we're, we're told... Uh we're told not to where not to lay up treasures, and then we're told where to lay up treasures, not on earth but in heaven. On earth moth and rust destroy, and heaven neither moth nor rust destroys. Thieves do not break in and steal. But here's the difficulty, at least at least for me, when we start when we start asking questions, we can see really the depths of these verses. For example, what is heaven? What treasures will we have in heaven? What is a, a heavenly treasure? How do we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? And as we begin to kind of tie this into the context, we we see that treasure in heaven is connected to this whole concept of rewards. And the idea of reward or rewards is, is another somewhat controversial topic. Are there rewards for the Christian? Are there varying degrees of reward? And that's really where the difficulty is for some. Will some believers receive rewards and some not? Another question is, is it even right to be motivated by rewards? Some people will say that we shouldn't consider rewards and that to do so would be selfish. And so with kind of some of these questions in mind we can see that we're entering into some sensitive areas this morning some maybe some areas where where we're not sure about. We're talking about the nature of heaven, the reality of rewards, the content of our rewards, what are our rewards? And all of these questions kind of come together here in Matthew 6:19 to 21. And if there's a a text in this sermon, or even in this book, in this gospel, where we ought to address these questions, I think this is the place. You know, the other option for us, and I I did consider it this week a little bit, is to just leave it vague. We could talk about treasures in heaven and never go deeper than that. We We could do that. We could never explore what they are or what heaven is, And in many ways, I think that'd be much easier, at least probably easier for me, less controversial, but also I think it'd be less helpful. And so we're going to kind of pull the the car over a little bit, and we're going to talk about heaven, rewards, and and this text over a number of sermons. You know, I was thinking about it this week, uh, and actually really for the last two weeks, I don't know if I've ever heard a sermon on heaven. I've never preached a sermon on heaven. I've never taught on heaven. I've never preached or taught on rewards either, although I, I did do the parable in Matthew chapter 20, the workers in the vineyard, and we'll, we'll look at that probably next week. I think we tend to have vague ideas of heaven. You know, what it, I don't know what, it, you know, you guys tell me, but even, even Jody in the prayer this morning said she has vague ideas of heaven. And I think there's kind of almost like two positions we have on heaven. Either we have vague ideas or I think we have wrong ideas. And, uh, you know, hopefully there are some right ideas. But even just to be totally honest about this, I, I learned a lot about heaven just this week. I, I read a, a book by a guy named Randy Alcorn that I would highly recommend on heaven. And I feel like I've learned a lot about heaven just in the last two weeks myself. But think about it a little bit. What do you picture? What do you picture when you think about heaven? What are you picturing right now? What are you imagining? You know, I I think we know, and, and we've talked about this a little bit, that God is our reward in heaven, and so maybe you picture God when you think about heaven. But when you think about that, God is invisible. He is a spirit. And so maybe you picture heaven, maybe you picture this this light that lights up the New Jerusalem. But are we looking forward to a light, right? We're, that's not what we're looking forward to. You know, I, when I think about heaven, I, I sometimes think about the the streets of gold, and I imagine I imagine gold streets, really smooth, really smooth golden streets, and a a big iron gate. I picture a big iron gate and a and a lit up city kind of behind, and I know that the the gate is supposed to be made out of pearl, but I I have an almost an impossible time trying to picture a pearl gate. Um, I don't. I'm not very imaginative, and I, I'm picturing this gate, and every time it's like that's iron, but I you know so it's vague, right? It's it's vague. Gold streets. Pearly gates, bright lights—that that doesn't satisfy my soul. That's not exactly what I'm looking forward to in heaven. You know, I, I, when when we think about heaven, um, in this book by Randy Alcorn, he talked about one pastor he knew who didn't like to think about heaven because it was it was so depressing for him to think about heaven. Imagine that—so depressing. And in his mind, in this pastor's mind. Apparently a, a seminary trained pastor and everything. This, this, in this pastor's mind, heaven was a place where he kind of floated around. And he said this quote, I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium to float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's also terribly boring. Heaven, this is what he said. He says, heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that, end quote. You know, some picture heaven as a never-ending church service. I think some of the the kids kind of maybe picture it like that, a never-ending church service where they're, and and they are in that place, disembodied spirits, and all that they can think about is that it's going to be the most dreadfully boring place imaginable. Well, good news, and we're we're not going to even get, hardly get to this this week, but good news, that is not what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be much better than our worship service. But our worship service is supposed to be meant to be a, a taste of that. Um, thanks for singing this morning, Johnny, by the way. <laughs> um, but I think we have these kind of vague ideas. One, one lady shared that she feared heaven, And eternal life because she had been taught, and I've heard that this is is sometimes taught even around here, that she wouldn't remember anything or anyone from the earth. And so she was afraid to kind of lose everything and be somebody who she didn't even know. She was afraid of heaven. You see this? There's there's fear of heaven. there's, There's like dread of heaven. And it's exactly the opposite of what we're supposed to have. Unbiblical views of heaven make it a place to be feared and dreaded. Unclear views of heaven make it hard to look forward to, don't, doesn't it? It's hard to look forward to something that you can't imagine or you can't understand that's, that's vague in your mind. It's hard to want treasures in heaven if we think of it as a, a, maybe a softer cloud to float on. And what are you going to do on a soft cloud? Like it's just it's, it's what, what am I going to do with that? We were created, and I'm just going to kind of introduce a little bit about heaven here. We were we were created as physical beings, body and soul, spirit. We were made from the dust of the ground and God breathed into Adam the breath of life and he became, Genesis 2-7, a living soul. We were not made, listen, we were not made to be without a body. And in heaven, when we're in our final resting place in heaven... We will have physical bodies, flesh and blood, you know. And what this means is that we are, according to Scripture, and this is like one of the core doctrines of the Christian faith, we will be resurrected. Our souls will be united with resurrected versions of our bodies. And that's whether we go to heaven or whether we go to hell. And so I want you to just kind of turn let's turn to John chapter 5. And we're just I'm just kind of introducing here a little bit this whole idea of heaven and eternal life and what it's going to be. John 5:25. John 5:25. Look at this. Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming And is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now in those first few verses, Jesus there seems to be talking about the spiritually dead. They will, they will hear the, the Son of God and they will live. And that time is is now here as Jesus is kind of speaking these words. There's this this time where the dead, the spiritually dead, are hearing the voice of the Son of God and some of them are coming to spiritual life. But then in verse 28, he says, don't marvel about this because another greater thing is going to happen. Dead people in the tombs will hear the Son of God and they will be resurrected. They will be resurrected. Some will be resurrected to life. That is, they will go to what we call heaven and some will be resurrected to judgment what we call hell. Those who are in the tombs will come out and there's this resurrection of life and a resurrection of judgment. And so we need to ground our ideas of heaven on the truth of the resurrection. We will spend eternity in resurrected bodies. And when we, we begin to do that, when we begin to kind of ground our ideas of heaven on that, we begin to anticipate heaven in new ways. The things we enjoy on earth, we will most likely enjoy in heaven. Treasures on earth will not likely be as, as different from treasures in heaven as we sometimes imagine. Moth and rust will not destroy those treasures. Thieves will not steal them, but those treasures may be more closely related to treasures on earth than we sometimes think. What we call heaven, and and again, we're going to get into this in the weeks to come, what we call heaven may be more physical than we've thought. Houses in heaven or mansions may be literal mansions. Treasures in heaven might be actual physical things. And even God's presence in heaven will be manifested to us through the Lord Jesus Christ who is resurrected and his resurrection, or maybe I should say our resurrection is actually going to be patterned after his resurrection. Jesus is right now at the right hand of God in a resurrected body that we can touch and feel and has a physical element to it. So we're going to spend some time looking at heaven and the nature of eternal rewards and my my goal in all of this is is really just to help you understand what scripture teaches about these things and i'm guessing that maybe even already that there's going to be some things that are new to you and even in the introduction maybe i've kind of introduced some new thoughts and ideas and as always i would just encourage you to let scripture renew your mind if scripture teaches something differently than, than you've always thought, then conform your thoughts to scripture. Because the word of God is our authority. Now, as I kind of do this, even this sermon today, um, I, I just thought, you know what? The, the the most helpful way that I could think about doing this sermon was just to kind of just start talking about this text. And so this is going to be a little bit different I actually had an outline today, a three-part outline, and then um, I only got through the first part of that outline, and so we were kind of in the first outline point, and my whole sermon was under the first outline, and I thought, well, that's not helpful. So to kind of give you some some thoughts to, or some, some anchors to hang your thoughts on, I, re- I went back through my sermon and kind of backfilled in some points. Um, in fact, okay, here it is. Um, so anyways the, the you know this might be a little bit different and, and i don 't know you can you can tell me after if it 's helpful or not helpful and i'm not I was even kind of debating should I even give you these outline points? Um, you could almost ignore the whole outline and just kind of listen to the sermon, but I'll, I will try to give them to you as we go, but this was in in my original kind of thoughts, this was the first point was was going to be the instruction from the Lord. And then I was going to give you the implications and talk about rewards in heaven. And then I was going to give you the, the explanation in verse 21 where it says, for, um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But anyways, I, that, that's kind of, I, I kind of scrapped all that. So look at, look at the text again. Matthew 6, 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is a command. This is a command and there's a a negative portion and there's a a positive portion. What not to do and then what to do. And so number one in the outline is just the, the negative command. On the negative side, Jesus says we are not to lay up treasures on earth. We're not to store up, gather, save, or reserve treasures. We're not to do that, as the text says, we're not to do that for yourselves, for ourselves. That word means to, to keep some material thing safe by storing it. And the things that we're not to store up are treasures, treasures. And the word treasures is actually almost the same word as as the word to store up. It just refers to whatever thing is stored. And so we're not to store up things that can be stored on earth. And we can tell what kinds of things Jesus has in mind when he says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And so now we see the uncertainty then of earthly treasures, number two. The uncertainty of earthly treasures. Moth and rust destroy. The moth that it's speaking about, the the larva of those particular moths would eat holes in an expensive garment, and they they would do that really overnight. And rust there is actually a word that means eating. And it depends on what kind of treasure is in mind. If If the treasure is metal, then that, that treasure would be eaten by rust. But other eaters, other eating things would eat grain and food stores. And so it's kind of any kind of vermin, any kind of eating, any kind of thing that, that eats away at something is, is what this is. And so when you store up treasures on earth, they can be eaten away. That word destroy means, literally means to make something invisible. And, and by, by making the thing disappear, it is now destroyed. It's gone. Earthly stores, earthly storage, earthly treasures can disappear in short order. They can be eaten into oblivion. They can, they can disappear. <clears throat> now, non-corrosive, non-edible uh, treasures like gold and silver and things like that, they can be taken by thieves. And thieves would, would dig through the wall And steal what's inside. And so they would, they would break in or break through and steal. Earthly treasures are not safe. They are uncertain. They rot. They wear out. They fade away. They disappear. They're not secure. Randy Alcorn said, Jesus could have gone on. Fires consume. Floods destroy. Governments seize. Enemies attack. Investments go sour. No earthly treasure is safe. End quote. The uncertainty of earthly treasure. Number two, number three, then think about the folly of treasure on earth. Think about the folly of treasure on earth. And to do that, I want you to go to Luke chapter 12. Treasure on earth is uncertain. Treasure on earth is foolish. John Luke chapter 12 and verse 16 Luke 12 16 and he told them a parable actually just before that in verse 15 he says take care this is the Lord Jesus take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions and he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So is one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. The parable is an illustration of the folly of laying up treasures on earth. And God even calls the man... A fool. Fool. You're going to die. You're going to give that stuff away. Who are you going to give it to? In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon realized that all of his work had been in vain. And actually, why don't we turn to the, the book of Ecclesiastes and, and look at this with your own eyes? <clears throat> Psalm kind of goes Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. So you can find it that way. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon realized that his, his work had been in vain. He worked hard and he, he saved up goods, but he realized that he would give it all to someone who hadn't learned to work hard. Look at Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 20. He says, so I turned about. And gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This is also, or this also is vanity and a great evil." When we store up treasure on earth, but, but we're not rich towards God, we're either storing it up to lose it, or we're storing it up to leave it to whoever comes after us. And Solomon realized the one coming after him wasn't gonna be wise, wasn't gonna be godly, and so it was gonna be enjoyed by somebody else. Look at Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. Look at that. When goods increase, the the eaters of them increase as well. You get more goods, you get more, more people coming around to kind of eat those goods. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes. All you can do is watch these other people eat all the goods that you've accumulated. says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. He's got all of this stuff and all of this yummy food and he eats it and he he has a bellyache. Verse 13, there's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. riches were kept by their owner to his own hurt. And so here's a guy who had riches and he, he hoarded them, he kept them, he tried to store them up and the, the, the accumulating of them ended up hurting himself. And then verse 14, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. They were, they were just lost like that. And he's the father of a son and he has nothing in his hand. And verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so he shall go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Every one of us will die, and we will leave behind our goods, right? We, we came into the world naked and we will leave naked. Everything that we've stored up for ourselves from our toil, at the end of the day when we die, it will be gone. We can carry nothing with us in our hand on that day. None of the earthly treasures can we carry with us into eternity. And so we see the folly of storing up treasure on earth. Now, fourthly, I just want to kind of give a little bit of a, what I called here, the caution of wisdom. Because we need to, as we think about this, this don't store up treasures on earth, we need to balance it out a little bit with some other scriptures. Because some scriptures teach that it actually is wise. And there is some wisdom in, in saving a little bit of money. Paul says, if you don't have Money to provide for your own family, if you don't provide for the needs of your own family, you are worse than an unbeliever. And so there's a sense in which we shouldn't just give away all of our money and, and kind of have nothing to care for our own families. Proverbs 13:22, you can just listen to this. A good man, it says, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Or consider Proverbs 30 verse 24, four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. And the first thing that he gives in verse 25 is the ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The ants are exceedingly wise because they, they save up their food in the summer so that they can use it in the winter. And so there is a place for some saving and we could look at a number of other scriptures. But what Jesus is talking about here is, is about storing up to yourself treasures. Like the rich man in the parable, we, we can too quickly forget that one day we will die. We're too quick to lose sight of eternity. Or maybe, and, and this is a little more direct, maybe we're just disobedient to what the Lord says here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. This is a command from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he commands his disciples not to lay up for themselves treasures on earth. Now his disciples were likely already doing this. And, and, and actually the, the command could be kind of understood this way. It could be a command to stop doing something that's already in process. And so there's a, a, the, the command here then is to, to no longer lay up for yourselves treasures on heaven. In other words, stop laying up treasures on earth. Now, as we kind of consider the, the caution of wisdom here more, Jesus does not say a few things, and I think it might be helpful for us to kind of look at this this way. Jesus doesn't say, sell everything you own and go live in a field and wear only sackcloth and ashes the rest of your life. He doesn't say, eat only locusts and wild honey, like John the Baptist. He doesn't say, no more steak dinners or no more comfort." Or no more enjoyment on the earth. But he says we're not to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. Instead we're to store up treasure in heaven. And so that's number five. What does it mean to, to lay up treasure in heaven? This is the positive command. Number five. The positive command. Lay up for yourselves. And this is a command. Lay up For yourselves, treasures in heaven. And so, how does one store treasure in heaven? Well, if we kind of back up a little bit and and we look at the connection of the context between these verses and, and the verses that immediately came before, Jesus had been instructing his disciples about their deeds and about how to practice righteousness. They were not to do what they did to be seen by men. And again, chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness. Literally, beware of, of doing the righteousness of you. Beware of doing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That was the general principle. And then Jesus gave these examples of, of giving and praying and fasting. And if we do what we do, not to be seen by men, but instead if we, if we do it to, to be seen by God who sees in secret, then Jesus promised a reward. And so if you look at Matthew 6 and verse 4, he says, so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And verse 17 again, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father will reward you. And remember, as we kind of looked at that section the the key word that came out in all of those things, in all of our righteousness, was sincerity. Sincerity is the opposite of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is putting on a show or, or acting. And so if we put on a show for men, we will be rewarded by men. But if we sincerely serve God in secret, then God will reward us. There's a reward for that. And this reward is laying up treasures in heaven it's kind of uh, sending treasures ahead to your eternity you're laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven the the re- the reward in all of these verses is is a future reward in heaven now perhaps there's there's some amount of reward in the present like if we give we will often be given more or if we pray god will often reward us with answered prayers or if we fast, perhaps God will hear and, and change whatever we were fasting about and praying for. But primarily, these rewards are future rewards, and they're given in heaven. We saw this also in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Just just kind of look back, five, even 5 and verse 10. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we're to rejoice and be glad if we are persecuted, if we are slandered, if we are reviled on Jesus's account or if we're if we if those things happen to us because of our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ and why should we rejoice? Why should we be glad if that happens because our reward is great. And where is that reward? When will we when will we receive it? Well, it says there in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. <clears throat> and from this we can start to see that there's a reward for what we do and for what we suffer for Jesus' sake. There's a reward for what we do and what we suffer for righteousness' sake. Or if we looked ahead at Matthew 6 and verse 33, it says there to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what we do for the kingdom program of God, that is what we do for the church, what we do for spreading the gospel in this age, what we do for reaching the lost and then maturing them to be like Christ, all of our work to promote the, the righteousness that Jesus calls his disciples to in this sermon, all of that will be rewarded in heaven. Everything that we do and suffer for Jesus' sake will be rewarded in heaven. And to say it as simply as I can then, what, what we do and suffer on earth for Jesus' sake will be rewarded in heaven. And what we're talking about then is the difference between the temporary and the eternal. The temporary and the eternal. This is what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to lay up treasures in heaven. How do we do that? What does that mean? It means that we serve the kingdom and the righteousness of God, that we serve Jesus Christ to promote his kingdom and to promote his righteousness. And that leads then, number six, to the certainty of heavenly treasure. The certainty of heavenly treasure. You see, our time on this earth is short, or at least it's relatively short. The the longest that we could spend here would be about a 100 years. And when we die, we will spend forever in either heaven or hell. I want you to, to turn to a, a great passage that, that speaks about the certainty of, of heavenly treasures. Go to first, second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses 17 and 18, great verses the certainty of heavenly treasure we saw that earthly treasure is uncertain moth eats it rust destroys it thieves steal it we could we could lose it at any moment for any number of reasons but 2 Corinthians 4:17 teaches us about the certainty of heavenly treasure and it says there for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's talking about why he continues in his ministry and why he does what he does for Jesus' sake. And Paul then makes a comparison between the momentary and the eternal you can see it right there in the text. There's this comparison between the momentary and the the eternal, between what he calls light, his present affliction, his suffering for Christ's sake. That is light, but it's light only when compared to what he calls the weight. And he's speaking about a weight of glory. And so he says the light momentary is preparing an eternal weight. Affliction now is preparing glory then. And he says the, the eternal weight of glory, he says, is beyond all comparison to the momentary light affliction. And so we see that, that great comparison then. Light momentary affliction versus eternal weight of glory. Now to believe this way, we need to look beyond what is seen. And we need to believe Jesus Christ, even what he says in our text this morning, because we can't yet see the eternal weight of glory. Paul, he he sees it now in heaven, or at least he sees, he sees some of it now. Paul's in heaven now and he's enjoying his eternal weight of glory, at least part of it, but he isn't even fully enjoying it because he isn't even yet in the new heaven and the new earth, but he is out of his light affliction now. But when Paul wrote these words, all he could see was the affliction. But by faith, he compared it to what God had promised. And he compared the seen with the unseen and the temporary with the eternal. And Paul set his mind on the unseen and he looked by faith to the eternal. And he did what he told the Colossians in Colossians 3, 1 and 2. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And that's exactly what Paul did. He set his mind, he, he looked to the, the unseen glory that awaited him and he endured the affliction of the present and he said it's a light and it's momentary compared to what's eternal and what's weighty. Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, and our minds are to be there as well. We're to have an eternal mindset that looks beyond the current earth to the future rewards that are yet unseen. And to use Paul as an illustration again, he said in Romans eight eighteen, "For I consider." This is the, another mind word. I, I consider. I think. I, I, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Suffering on earth, so long as it is done for Jesus' sake, will be rewarded with glory, or as Jesus said, with treasures in heaven. Now let's go back to our text then, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus tells us to, to gather to ourselves treasures in heaven. He wants us to invest, if we can say it that way, he wants us to invest in eternal rewards. He says, invest in rewards that we can never lose. Jim Elliott famously said that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And the contrast between verse 19 and verse 20 implies that the way to get the one, the way to get treasures in heaven is by giving up treasures on earth or to, to use the treasures on earth. The way to have treasure in heaven is to use treasures on earth. And that kind of brings us to number seven. And, and we want to ask now, what is treasure? What is treasure? And we're talking about number seven, the nature of treasure. We already said that treasures on earth are material things that moth and rust destroy and that thieves can steal, but we can likely expand on, on this even further if we tie it to rewards in heaven. Remember, we are rewarded for what we do and suffer and doing and suffering requires time and energy and patience and, and things like those. And we can expand treasure this way. If we look at verse 21 of our text, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so there's this connection between our treasure and our heart. Our heart is not our our blood pumping organ in scripture. The heart is our thinking, the heart is our affections, the heart is our values, our emotions, our wills. Our heart is is who we are on the inside, what we think and and feel, and what we will, what we desire. That's that's our treasure. What we want in our will, that is what we treasure. What we think about is what we treasure. What we value and, and what we feel deeply about, that's our treasure. And from all that, we can see that, that where we spend our time, our energy, and our resources, that's what we treasure. A.W. Tozer said, we can discover our treasure by asking four basic questions, Number one, what do we value most? And you should ask yourselves these as we think about this. What do you value most? What would we most hate to lose? What do our thoughts turn to most frequently when we feel, when we are free to think what we will? And finally, number four, what affords us the greatest Pleasure. Those are four questions that we can ask ourselves to kind of discover our treasure. Those questions reveal our treasure. And now as you kind of have that in your mind and you, you know what you treasure, what you value, what you think about, what you desire, ask yourself, are those things in heaven or are they on earth? Again, to have treasure in heaven means that you use your time Your talents and your treasures, your, your resources, and, and they're, they're going towards Jesus' kingdom's purposes. And they're going towards living by his righteous standards and to help others to do the same. To have treasure in heaven means that you're investing in people for their salvation and their sanctification, right? People are eternal. Jesus is saying, then stop investing in earthly pursuits, which are uncertain, which you can lose and start investing in heavenly rewards, which will last forever. Jesus is saying, pour your lives into eternity and give up your treasure here and, and send it ahead to be enjoyed forever there. Pour your life into eternity. Now, let me say that this is, is hard, right? We can get so easily distracted with the things of this world. It's so easy for us to, to build ourselves a little kingdom here on earth. It's so easy to have all of our good things now, which is what Abraham described uh, about the rich man in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And I want you now to turn to this parable in Luke Chapter 16 of the rich man and Lazarus. And what we see there is that the the rich man in that parable had enjoyed all of his good things in this life. Look at verse, we'll start in the middle there, verse 25. Luke 16, 25. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things? But Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Do you guys know this parable? There's a, there's a reversal at death. And and that's number eight, I guess, in our outline. The reversal of death. And I want you to consider this reversal of death. Now, the rich man represents an unbeliever, but I think it's applicable to everyone. And the rich man in the parable is an unbeliever who has treasure on earth. And according to verse 19, he lived sumptuously every day. He had the finest clothes. And the, the fine linen there is, is literally the, the softest Egyptian cotton underwear that you could imagine. Verse 19, the, the rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. For this rich man, every day was a feast day, and he hardly noticed poor Lazarus at his gate. Verse 20, at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Lazarus represents a believer, and he had almost nothing in this world but trials and suffering. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried to the by the angels to Abraham's side. Lazarus died and he went to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side. Abraham's bosom is where Abraham is now, close to Abraham is the idea. And in other words, he was in what, what we might call the present heaven. Heaven without our resurrected bodies. We'll talk more about that another time. But, but that's where Lazarus went, to Abraham's side. In verse 22, continuing, the rich man also died and was buried. Notice he had a nice burial on earth even. But verse 23, and in Hades, or in Hades, however you like to pronounce that, in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And the comfortable rich man went to hell. He went to Hades. We might call it the place where where, where these men went. They, they went to the intermediate state. That's another way that we could call it the intermediate state. Hades and the present heaven. The intermediate state is, is what theologians call heaven and hell before the resurrection. And Hades is still a a place of torment, but it's before the, the resurrected body and before the lake of fire. And Abraham's bosom is heaven, and it's where God dwells. It's where Abraham and the saints dwell, where they dwell right now. It's called paradise by Jesus. It's what Paul calls away from the body and at home with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. But it's before the resurrection and before the new heaven and the new earth but anyways, the point of this parable is to show the reversal of outcomes at death. There's a reversal that happens at death. And it was spoken to the Pharisees who were lovers of money. Look at verse 14 of chapter 16, Luke 16:14. 16, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they, they ridiculed him. And Jesus' response is to teach the parable of the rich man and Lazarus to them. But these Pharisees who were lovers of money, they had heard things. Well, what did they hear? Well, they heard the parable of the unrighteous steward in verses 1 to 9. A parable that that teaches us, much like we've been talking about today, to have an eternal perspective. They heard in verses 10 to 12 that they should be faithful in the little thing of earthly wealth if they wanted to be entrusted with true heavenly riches. And they heard in verse 13 No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so there's this reversal at death. And then finally, number nine, we want to consider the choice of master. The Pharisees loved money. And Jesus told them that they could not serve money and God. They could not devote themselves to money and God at the same time. The parable was a warning to them that if you continue to live for money, you will lose everything at death. And if we go back to Matthew chapter 6, we can remember that our section, I guess we could call verses 19 to 24, a little section. It ends very similarly to what we just saw in Luke 16, verse 13. It says there in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear These verses. We need to to choose carefully where we want to lay our treasure. We can serve money or we can serve God. We can love money or we can love God. We can be devoted to money or we can be devoted to God. Or let me put it the other way. As disciples of Christ, we need to serve God. And we need to love him and we need to be devoted to him. And that means if we take this together, it means that we hate money or we will despise money. Love one, hate the other. Devoted to one, despise the other. Money is to be rejected insofar as it tries to be our God. Money has this terrible way of trying to become our God, something that we live for, something that we love, something that we are devoted to, something that our, our time, talents, and energy goes to in greater ways than it should or that it needs to. Again, we need to provide for our families. We need to make some money. We need to live and eat and, and, and have a living in this world. But we love God. We serve him. We're devoted to him. And we have no other gods before us. Now again, it doesn't mean, and and we need to be careful about how we apply this, it doesn't mean that we need to become hermits and live in caves and wear sackcloth and eat locusts and honey in the wilderness. We can glorify God. We can glorify God by enjoying his creation and we can wear nice clothes and we can own nice things and we can eat nice food, good food. In First Timothy six seventeen, I think Paul had this, all of this in mind. And he said this, he says, as for the rich in this present age, and I would include all of us in that category As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't set your hope there. But where do you set your hope? But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There's kind of the balancing thing. God provides everything to enjoy. They're to do good, right? They're to do good to be rich in good works. Remember, we're to do and suffer, and that's how we build up rewards in heaven. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God gives us richly all things to enjoy, but we also need to ask ourselves honestly, Are we using it to store up a good foundation for eternity? Are we laying hold of eternal life? Remember what our Lord says in these verses that we've been looking at this morning. This is a command. We are not to, we are commanded, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Your Savior and my Savior commands us to lay up treasures in heaven. And I think the best way to do that and, and, and to go about that practically is, is just to commit ourselves to sincerely living for Jesus' sake. And if we do that, I think all the other things will fall into order. But, but we need to also ask ourselves, are we really doing that? Are we truly laying for ourselves treasure in heaven? Now, this whole section is for the believer. See, we don't do and suffer and 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 build up rewards in heaven so that we can go to heaven. No, we are those who are already going to heaven, but we will be rewarded for what we do and suffer for Jesus' sake. And so these are not works that we do in order to earn heaven. Heaven is not our reward. Heaven is our destination. Our rewards are something separate from that. And so if you're here today and you're listening to this sermon and you're not in Jesus Christ and you're not a believer, then you need to first repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we go to heaven by faith alone, by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that's kind of the first thing. But then this is a, a a separate thing, if we could say it that way. This is a separate thing where Jesus commands us as believers who are already on our way to heaven to make sure that our rewards and our treasure is is there as well. We can't save up treasures on earth. We can't take anything with us. But as Randy Alcorn said in his book, we can send it ahead to eternity by living in a way that God commands us to be rewarded for the time to come. Now, next week, we're going to look more at the whole concept of reward. And we're going to look at what it means at some point, what it means and what scripture says about heaven. And I'm really looking forward to that. But I I think today was just kind of the, what I called at the beginning, the, the instruction from the Lord. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth nor rust destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your time, or for, for, I guess all of our time is your time, Father, but we thank you for our time in our, in the word this morning, and we just pray that you would help us to, to do this very thing that you command us. Father, we get so easily caught up in this world and the things of the world, and Time and time again, we need to be reminded of eternity. Pray that you'd help me and my brothers and sisters to live in light of eternity and to truly lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, to live in this world committed, devoted to serving you, to loving you, to living for Jesus' sake, to building his kingdom and seeking his righteousness in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters And in the lives of the lost, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.